I love MMA is a joy to watch. Better than a double rainbow. Better than seeing even the most hated of villains finally getting what they deserve. The skill, the technique, the art. But you know what sometimes is better though? This is something else. Watching people who have no idea what they're doing flail around in absolute chaos. Yeah, it might not always put the sport in a good light, but some of the worst fights of all time happen to also be some of the most entertaining. Or would you rather watch six hours of John Fitch's single leg looped on YouTube? I'm Bailey from Around Point, and yes, we are finally here in our brand new office. Let's go check it out. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to our MMA Challenge of the Week. Today, I'm joined by the greatest referee in the world, Mr. Mark Goddard. Would, I would punch him straight in the back of the fucking head. That's right, a brand new channel with brand new content. Welcome to Fight Front, the home of personality-driven MMA. Today, it's an MMA challenge where I take the worst-rated UFC character in UFC Undisputed 3 all the way to the heavyweight championship of the world. We've got a whole bunch of stuff coming your way, but the first one is Retirees React, and you do not want to miss this one. And I'm reacting to Colin McGregor. Make sure you scroll on down and hit subscribe because you do not want to miss all the new content coming your way on this brand new channel. And hey, it's me, Tommy Toehold, and I'm rolling around on a damn monitor. But for now, here are 10 MMA fights so bad they're good. Number 10, Lee Malay McFarlane versus The Soccer Mum. It's a tried and true method in combat sports when you're training up a fighter to be a relentless smashing machine, you throw him a few average Joes, maybe to pad their record a little. But also just because, well, nothing builds confidence like obliterating someone and feeling like an untouchable god. Lee Malay McFarlane is a former Bellator flyweight champion, but back when she was still an amateur at her gym team Hurricane Awesome, they had one rule. You can only turn pro after you've had six amateur fights. Sounds easy enough, but once you've developed a reputation in the San Diego area as the next hot prospect, turns out a lot of people are just not going to want to fight you. Lima had an opponent lined up for the Explode Promotions January event, but before you knew it, they pulled out with an injury. But with most regional promotions, if you hold out long enough, they'll find some person enthusiastic enough to step into a cage, even if it's a person that's maybe watched Ronda Rousey on TV and decided, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, baby! <laughs> well, Explode found Katie Castro and Owen 2 Pro, who was willing to step in on short notice, and both of her losses came in the first 30 seconds. Even the ring announcements were somewhat hilarious, just seeing Katie standing there twiddling her thumb like she's waiting for them to ring the school bell so she can pick up the kids and Lima Lay bouncing up and down looking like the trained killer and inaugural Bellator champion she would go on to be. It's pretty easy to laugh at Katie's lack of technique and it's all fun and games until Lima absolutely flatlines her and the reality of the situation sets in. The MMA community couldn't stop passing this fight around though. Can't win them all, eh? Number 9. Shinya Aoki vs Uchio Nagashima yeah, Mighty Mouse vs. Rod Tang in a hybrid Muay Thai MMA fight was as entertaining as finally seeing that showdown between Goku and Frieza, but what if I told you it had already happened before? Just over 10 years ago, in fact, between one of the most dynamic submission artists of all time, Shinya Aoki, who just paper macheted Hirota's arm, and Nagashima, who just won the K1 World Max Tournament. Both guys basically at that power level 9,000. Much like the recent one DJ vs. Rod Tang fight, it would alternate between kickboxing and MMA rounds, and just to make things more interesting, they let a coin flip decide which one it would be first. On New Year's Eve 2010, the two men met at the FEG Dynamite card. They flipped a coin. It was heads, probably, and the first round would be three minutes of kickboxing. Yay for Nagashima. The fight started instead of actually trying kickbox. After nearly every exchange, Oki just flopped to the map, circled away, clinched, basically just did anything he could to avoid a fight for the first three minutes. Guy was out here throwing freaking drop kicks. It was kind of hilarious, not gonna lie, but at the same time, anything but a fight. One guy was fighting, the other guy might as well have been playing touch butt in the park. Aoki ran the clock down, the bell rang, and the next 
next round would be MMA, something Nagashima had no experience in, and Aoki was a master of submissions from pretty much any position, of course, including the flying ones. He'd successfully avoided the stand-up round. Now was his time to dominate. The round started, Aoki immediately shot for a takedown, and in a moment of Masvidal-like precognition, it was super necessary. Nagashima launched into a flying knee and put Aoki out cold instantly. Damn, he was right there, man. Haven't seen something that ironic since poor Leo finally collapsed at the end of Blood Diamond. Number 8. Ben Askren vs. Damian Meyer Not unlike a scheme in Sith Lord, I do like it when two masters turn on and fight each other, especially if they both happen to be world-class when it comes to their chosen art. And in the case of Ben Askren and Damian Meyer, that art is grappling. What most of us didn't want to see at UFC Singapore was these two guys trade on the feet for 25 minutes, but the MMA gods rarely care for the feelings of us mortals. Despite Askren's recent KO loss to Masvidal, interest was relatively high for this matchup. It wasn't exactly the Askren GSP, who's the best wrestler in MMA we've always wanted, but Damian Meyer was possibly the best BJJ guy, so in its own way, it was close enough. Well, the fight started and the question on everyone's lips, what was going to happen when the fight hits the ground? Well, we never really got to find out. Instead of a back and forth scrambling and takedown war, the fight pretty much exclusively took place on the feet where Maya had a slight edge in the striking. Don't get me wrong, the fight did hit the mat on occasion, but usually at the end of the round, the rest of the contest, well, Ben basically spent the whole fight walking towards Maya, trying to reach out and grab something, and Maya just circled away and popped at him. We got to see the full extent of Ben's striking, and the scrambles when they did happen were great, you just had to suffer through four and a half minutes of what undeniably wasn't either man's best skill set. A lot of people found it entertaining though. Number seven, Emmanuel Yarbrough versus normal sized people. Pretty much from the get-go in MMA, it seemed that sumo was a style that only really worked if the other guy was as big and slow as you were and stood in place long enough for you to ram yourself into them and attempt the mother of all wedgies. All respect to the sport, though, sumo tournaments are a great watch, but for MMA, well, we saw what happened to Taylor Tooley at UFC 1, and then just two shows later at UFC 3, the Guinness Book of World Records heaviest athlete of all time, Emmanuel Yarbrough, made his debut and was stopped by a man about one-fifth his size. Keith Hackney, of all people. But Yarbrough wasn't done there. Four years later, he returned to the sport and to Japan, no surprises there, heading to Shuto to take on Tasuo Nakano. It was another chance to prove the superiority of sumo. It wasn't likely he'd be able to pull off any Rikishi stink face special moves, but hey, when that doesn't work, go to your natural instincts, right? Yabra waded Nakano into the corner, pulled him down to the mat, and proceeded to, well, uh, smother him. I mean, that's even what the Wikipedia says. Watching these two work on the ground wasn't exactly high-level MMA, but seeing that big old belly of Yabra be put to good use was an illuminating strategy. Were we about to see a whole new wave of sumo wrestlers take over? Well, he headed to Pride fresh off this win to take on Daiju Takase, and unlike Nakano, Daiju did what any sane man would do in that situation. Yeah, run away, of course, and Yabro plodded around the ring like a hungry brontosaurus attacking a particularly evasive tree swaying violently in the wind. After 15 minutes of action, if you can call it that, Yabro finally got him down, gassed, lost top position, and was punched into submission. Pride knew entertainment when they saw it, though. Number 6. Keith Hackney vs. Joe Sun Hackney had to work pretty hard to put Yarbrough out. In fact, he was bouncing his right hand off his head like he didn't want to continue his Showtime subscription. Pound in sand, basically. So despite winning in the first round of UFC 3, he pulled out with a hand injury, but was invited back at the next show, UFC 4, where he met the infamous Joe Sun in the first round. Who, along with walking out desperately trying to drag a crucifix that was larger than Keith's former opponent, would turn out to be a piece of shit human being that was locked away for a really long time. Children and animals hate you, 
Joe Sando. Kind of makes what happened next all the sweeter, really. This was, of course, the early days of the sport. Yeah, everyone had black belts in something or other, but of course, no one had actually been in a fight. The fight started and Yo Sando seemed to involve standing around a lot in front of your opponent with your hands down, just staring at them. But like all fights back then, it hit the ground eventually, but Joe made the rookie mistake of holding onto a guillotine after Keith had moved to side control. And yeah, I know what you're thinking, right? Gotta be careful of that Von Flew choke. Ha! Wrong. Keith went with the original defense of this position to rain down endless punches to Joe's little sons. More specifically, his balls, people. I started laughing after about two seconds. Keith's unrelenting testicular assault lasted for a whole 15 before Keith choked him out with a hand to the chin. Yeah, I don't know what Joe Sondo involves either. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. But apparently moving your head or just pushing your opponent's hand off your face isn't allowed. To be fair, he was just punched like 20 times in the balls. Number five, just Gabby Garcia. There's some pretty unique athletes in MMA, the kind of humans you don't see walking around every day or in your local Starbucks, and Gabby Garcia fits into this category quite nicely. She's a 6'2", multiple-time grappling world champion, IBJJF Hall of Famer, so when she was making the switch to MMA, everyone expected her to dominate. The only thing was, well, who was she gonna fight? Not many 6'-plus women's MMA athletes walking around, is there? Ryzen picked up the phone, said, hey, don't worry about that, this is Japan. Of course we'll find someone to fight ya. Up stepped Lady Tapper, a Tongan-American pro wrestler. Was she 6'? Well, no. Did she have any MMA or combat experience? Also, no. Did Ryzen care? Yeah, not really. I'm blind. But Gabby being a BJJ black belt and multiple-time grappling champion, you'd think she'd just take her down and get the submission, right? No. In what turned out to be a scrap fest, Lady tagged her with the left hand as Garcia tried to zombie her way through the striking. Both women continued to swing wildly, hoping to land something, just going back and forth until Gabby conjured up a spinning back fist from nowhere, got on top, and finished the fight. Yeah, she won, but if she had been training any actual striking or technique, it looked like she'd basically abandon it during the fight. Rising continued feeding her opponents like the Romans did to the Lions at the Colosseum, pretty much all of who really shouldn't have been in there with her. In the final round of the Ryzen 2016 Grand Prix, Yumiko Hota stepped up on short notice in what I'm pretty convinced she didn't realize was an actual MMA fight. I love the young people. Despite being significantly older than Gabby and, of course, a lot smaller, she started bouncing off the ropes to the sound of the MMA community's world, circumferencing facepalm, just knowing full well what was coming next. But instead of taking down the much older and smaller Hota, Gabby decided to just blast her as hard as she could with knees and punches. It was a terrible fight, and I have no idea what Ryzen were thinking, but I couldn't help watch it at least three times. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? Number four, Vandalay Silva versus Rampage Four. Not many people have fought four times. Andre Olovsky and Tim Sylvia managed to do it, and if they make Moreno Figueredo one more time, they'll be the third set of men to ever get it done. Another rivalry that has spanned three major MMA promotions, though, is between Rampage Jackson and Vandalay Silva. After beating Roundabout at Pride 25, Rampage called out Silva. He jumped in the ring for a scuffle, and the rivalry that would continue for the next 15 years was born. Silva stopped him twice in Pride, Rampage KO'd him in the UFC, technically it was 2-1 to Silva, but considering the rivalry was pretty much buried at this point, most fans didn't really care anymore. But you know who did? Bellator, yeah, that's right. Resurrecting dead rivalry since 2016, baby. Anyway, when both men were in their prime, they were absolute savages, weapons of destruction that produced some of the finest mixed martial arts KOs of all time. So at Bellator 206, they met for a fourth time, evidently a lot older, a fair bit slower, but still prepared to swing for the fences. Well, at least for some parts of it. Vandy spent the majority of the first round just circling away from Rampage, but on occasion would plant his feet and just throw hellfire lever at Rampage, which turns out is more effective when you're 15 years younger and still a 
physical monster. It was sloppier than spaghetti. But as it turns out, that doesn't really mean it was any less entertaining. Yeah, maybe these guys couldn't move like they used to, but by God, they were going to plant their feet and slingshot hooks at each other's faces for one last hurrah. Rampage eventually landed a big right hand and took the TKO. So that's 2-2 now, right? Who's up for a tiebreaker? Number three, Aliyev Mahmoud versus Kiyoshi Tamura. You know Pride put on some of the best fights of all time? Yeah, man, legendary, truly. But they also kind of made a few fights for the funsies, you know, because entertainment is entertainment, I guess. Well, in that spirit, Pride 29 saw a matchup between Kiyoshi Tamura and Aliyev Mahmoud. Mahmoud was a two-time freestyle wrestling champion in his home country of Azerbaijan, and this was going to be his MMA debut. Wrestling, eh? Not a bad background to start with. How about Tamura? Well, he'd already beaten a few people. Yeah, Henzo Gracie, Marie Smith, Pat Militich. Yeah, seems like an even matchup. It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. But maybe Aliyev had been working on his striking and could surprise Tamora. No, not even a little bit. What we saw instead was some kind of new martial art that involved hopping, skipping, and jumping into your opponent. Seriously, I've seen some interesting styles in my time watching the sport, but this one never fails to amaze me. Aliyev tried but couldn't get the fight to the mat, so he kept jumping at Tamora until he catapulted his junk right into his knee. Damn. Anyway, he took five minutes to recover and then waved off the fight. And to be honest, I don't blame him, but uh, apparently the Japanese officials were having none of it or just don't understand what waving hands means perhaps they were confused by his jumping and thought he was preparing a summoning jutsu either way the fight continued but aliyev realized he was very much outmatched and tried to call off the fight again which once more the ref ignored until aliyev basically couldn't make it any clear he wanted the fight done and they stopped it still this is a contest that gives most fight fans the keck w chuckles number two kimbo slice versus dada 5000 Street beefs don't come much more real than those born in the hoods of Miami, the place that birthed the combat sports cult legend Kimbo Slice and the YouTube backyard brawling scene. But a former high school friend of his, Dada 5000, had been running his own backyard promotion while Kimbo was enjoying his worldwide fame and was featured in the documentary Dogfight. Apparently, Dada had also been fighting at the same time as Kimbo in the backyard brawls, but his fights were never released, or were lost, as he puts it, because it would have been bad for Kimbo Slice. Anyway, this beef kind of emerged at the end of Kimbo's career, and Dada was no spring chicken himself, but when has that ever stopped Bellator from having a good time? Also, didn't stop both men from promising an absolute blood war of a fight. Thank each and every one of you guys. You fool! Shut up, man. Man, listen. You ain't got shit to hey, say. Listen, bro, I- Fuck yeah, let's go, Dada. Not that I've ever seen you fight, nor that you have had a fight in six years, but I'll buy it. Sadly, we didn't get explosivity and blunt force trauma. What we actually got was two men that didn't really have that much experience in the sport and were expected to replicate performances from 15 years ago. It's pretty much now referred to as the worst fight in MMA history. We got about 10 seconds of striking, two and a half minutes of ground hugging, and the rest of the first round holding in the clinch. After that, both men were gassed and Dada at least looked more in danger of knocking himself out, flailing wildly than he would knocking out Kimbo. As exhausted as they both were, they kept throwing their arms at each other until Dada literally could no longer stand and Kimbo won by exhaustion because let's face it, he didn't have the energy to summon a knockout either. Number one, Bob Sapp versus Osunarashi Kintaro. Yeah, everyone loves watching heavyweights fight. According to Pride, the bigger the better. And well, they don't really come any bigger than Bob Sapp, who, if you don't know, made his name on the Japanese MMA and kickboxing circuit in the early 2000s, continued to fight, well, if you can call it that, for many years after until he was ultimately kind of dismissed by the community for throwing fights, giving up, or just kind of freaking out. Anyway, Bob had been fighting less and less towards the end of his career, but in a surprise moment was booked to fight Egyptian sumo wrestler Osu Narishi Kintaro at Ryzen 13. Screw technique, forget showcasing high-level MMA 
MMA. This was two of the largest men on the planet clattering into each other, and from the bell, Kintaro made it a street fight. I guess he was hoping to finish Bob early, who didn't throw a punch back until he realized that was probably the only way he was going to get Kintaro to stop punching him. Then the most primitive of MMA fights ensued, with both men staring at each other for about 20 seconds before crashing together in these ridiculous flurries of flying arms and then staring at each other again, hoping I expect that one of them would just sort of fall over. But somehow they didn't. Instead, they both got exhausted, and I mean, these guys could barely walk forwards, let alone keep their hands up. Somehow they made it to the third round, with Bob Sapp doing his best human windmill, and both men somehow resisting gravity's pull to return them to the canvas. Like, holy fuck, these dudes gave everything to look like the cast after a season finale in The Walking Dead. The ref kept telling them to fight, but there was nothing he could do. It was straight out of the 19th century carnival show. Bob Sapp was given the decision and won his first MMA fight in eight years. Welcome to Fight Front, the home of personality-driven MMA. You do not want to miss what we have coming up on this channel, so make sure you go down below and hit subscribe to stay up to date with all the new videos. Why? We've got reaction videos, we've got news, we've got video gameplay, we've got all kinds of stuff, new channel, new content coming right at you. And trust me, you do not want to miss it. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool2me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further. And I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.